0: So, we have spent the last six weeks in answering the question of who is God, a study in God's big word, church word, a study of God's attributes, and maybe especially uh, as the sermon series is titled, uh, that we would see a God of one who brings certainty in the midst of our uncertainty. Uh, We started that series in the midst of thinking of that around a virus, and yet today we need to come in the midst of a whole new set of uncertainties as we watch the things that happen in cities across America. But at the very core, at the very center of the reality of this series has been uh, one verse, right? Uh, it's a verse that you should have memorized by now, right? By the way, it feels good to come out from behind the pulpit. Uh, <laughs> Lucas Lucas has been gracious in the uh, streamline to allow me to wander a bit. This is good, right? But there should be one verse that you have memorized in the midst of these six weeks, and that is Romans 11.33. Paul gives probably the most explicit and wonderful uh, uh, expression of the gospel and of who God is. He comes to the end of that, and he says oh, the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments? How inscrutable are his ways? And so you hear the Apostle Paul, probably the most brilliant man ever walked the earth, in the reality of coming to the end of this amazing description of the gospel, and he says, but God, you are still way too big for me to get. And he doesn't say that in such a way that we give up trying. In fact, Paul says it in such a way that he worships the fact that God is bigger than what we can get our minds around. And in fact, in worshiping that, there is a sense that Paul challenges us, as we have in the last six weeks, of yearning to understand God more. Especially to understand Him as something certain in the midst of our uncertainty. Quick review of those things would be this: that God is incomprehensible and eternal. That God is holy and he is merciful. That God is sovereign. That God is unchanging, big church word, immutable. And last week, that God is love. And as uh, Rick Hort has already stole my thunder, he hears this week free of them, right? That God for the omnis, ready? That God is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. Big words mean that God is all-knowing, that He is all-powerful, and that He is all present. And, and here would be our application this morning, right? This is what I—this is what I want you to get: sermon in a sentence, right? In that—that that God is in everything that's happening; that there is nothing, by virtue of His nature, there is nothing that can happen that God is not exuding power over, has knowledge of, and is present in. Now, that is—that is hard to understand in the midst of uncertainty. It's hard to understand in the midst of injustice. But it's true. And it's the God that we need to discover so that we might worship in these days. So here, this: here's the sermon in a sentence in the reality that, that God is in this so that we should get on with it. Right? God is in this. That, that we should get on with it. That, that what God is in, we should join Him in for our good and for His glory. This is where we're gonna go this morning to see the three omnis uh, this morning, Genesis chapter 28, Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. It's a pretty familiar story. It's one that in Sunday school you had little phonographs for, some I mean, of you remember phylographs, right? And, and, and being able to, to do that is It's a, a song that you've sung probably that we'll see at the end of the message. Uh, but, but I choose it because it reveals, I think, in marvelous ways, God and all of his omnis. In his all-knowing, his all-powerful, and his all-presence. But before we get to the text, let me give you a, a backdrop of the context of the text, right? And, and I'll call it the context of uncertainty. The context of uncertainty. Uh, some of you know the person of Jacob. You have heard the stories of Jacob, right? It was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was third in line of his great blessing and promise of, of God. But you also know and take great delight in, right? Isn't it good that God gives us influential people in the Bible that we respect and love and admire, but they're as screwed up as the day is long? Right? That, that indeed we might find That it's okay to be messed up Right, And, and so Jacob is messed up He, he loves deception he, He's addicted to lying He loves manipulation We've seen this in his life Right, So his, his brother comes in hungry one day And, and he makes himself His birthright for a bowl of stew right? uh, and, and then in the text Right before the text that we're going to read here uh, Jacob, because he's a mama's boy is, is in line with his mama To lie to his papa Uh, about who he is so that he might receive the blessing of the firstborn, right? So he's a manipulator. He's a a liar. He's a deceiver. And yet we see God in his life. And so I I want you to have that backdrop. So here's the the, the story as we go. He's just lied to his dad. He's received the blessing. But he has some external uncertainties that he's facing. Number one, that Esau, his big, burly, hairy brother, right? And, and we have that description of Esau. I'm not trying to manipulate the text. He's big and burly and hairy, right? And, and this big old boy wants to kill mama's boy, Jacob. I mean, he is out to kill him. He's stolen his birthright. He stolen his blessing. Jacob, Esau, has had enough. And so an external uncertainty is that this, this little mama's boy is scared for his life, Right? He also lives with the external uncertainty of the reality of, of, of just lying to his father <laughs> uh, and, and, and getting a blessing that he's not sure took, right? Uh, and, and so there's all of this. And so here's the external uncertainty that he is forced into. As we come to verse 10 in chapter 28, he is sent on a journey alone. And I want to underscore the word alone because most of the time when mom and dad send you on a journey in biblical times, you have an entourage that goes with you to protect you, to care for you. And mama and dada here go, no, you are on your own into the wilderness. You go by yourself, go back to our homeland, but man, you are on your own external uncertainty in the wilderness by yourself. Running from your brother who desires to kill How about internal uncertainty? How many times did Jacob, we don't know by virtue of the text, but how many times did Jacob really wonder, like, did that blessing really take? Can it be that, that God would shower his blessing upon me? Like, I got it in a weird way. And I, I got it in, in, in the midst of deception. And so, how is it that God would bless little old deceptive, manipulative me? So, an internal uncertainty, dealing with his own sin, with his own rebellion, dealing with his own issues, alone, in the wilderness. I think it really comes down to this in Jacob's head. Is God really with me? Does God really love me? What does my future hold? Will he in some way actually even destroy me? And I'm wondering, as we think about Jacob in that place of uncertainty, that maybe you're here this morning with some of those same uncertainties. I'm trusting that your big, burly, hairy big brother isn't out to kill you. That you may not end up in the wilderness But I wonder if sometimes you feel like, eh, in my sin, I'm wondering if God really wants me. As he left me? Hmm. What's my future like? That's the uncertainty that Jacob lives in. Maybe you do it, and maybe you need to hear this story afresh and anew today. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Listen to the word of God. Jacob left Beersheba, and went toward Huron. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. That's an amazing dream. And behold... The Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, Jacob, I will give to you and to your offspring. In fact, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, Jacob, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Wow. That's not in the text, but I'm thinking the first thing he said was, Wow. Surely, the Lord is in this place. And I did not know. it. And he was afraid, he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me the bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace that the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth to you. May God help us in the understanding of this word. Would you hear today the message of certainty spoken into the context of uncertainty? Jacob had it whopper of a dream. I don't usually remember my dreams. I'm hoping I remember that, right? Uh, and and then in fact, the reality of the, the scholars say that this dream may not have actually been a dream. <laughs> that in his sleep, that this is an actual uh, appearance and understanding of God. In that dream, he sees a ladder, more accurately a staircase, and it has angels going up and down the stairs. It's an amazing dream. But what is even more cool about the dream is the fact that God Almighty stands above him and speaks to Jacob in the midst of his uncertainty and all of his fears some very certain things. And that's our focus this morning, three things, a message of certainty into Jacob's uncertainty that may be just the very thing that we need to hear today in our uncertainty. First, God says, I am. First, God says, I am. He says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, verse 13. And I want you to hear in this certainty, the statement, the certainty of God's power. This is his omnipotence. A power that is not circumstantial or for a moment or just for this moment, but what God is literally saying is this is a power that is eternal and absolute. We, we can't get our human minds around that, right? This power that is eternal and absolute. But we do recognize that uncertainty often comes when we don't understand who's in charge. Right? I don't know if you remember times in your childhood, I remember times in my childhood where there was the rule and then there was my behavior, right? Um, and sometimes my behavior didn't follow the rule. But like some of you who were gathering this morning in the back of the sanctuary when you're not allowed to, right? The rule is no gathering, and you were gathering. I just told on you, right? So, so, so here's, in my behavior, oftentimes it's the rule and, and then my behavior. Too. And what happens when my behavior is not according to the rule becomes uncertainty, right? Like, am I going to get caught? what's gonna happen to me, and all that. And when that happens, there's usually a dialogue with my parents with regard to my behavior as it's compared to the rule. And at some point in that conversation, there is this statement, because I'm the parent, that's why. Any of you have ever heard that statement? Any of you have used that statement? Uh, Just a note, Dan and Kim, Brian and Sean both raised their hands, right? (laughs) Right? Yeah. So we we've heard the statement, we've used the, the, the statement, and in some glorious and very good way, it's exactly what God said. Jacob's in all of this uncertainty, right? And yet, in this dream, God shows up and he goes, "Listen, I'm the Lord." I am the one who is a powerful. I'm the one who took your father Abraham out of the very land that you're returning to and delivered him to the promised land. I'm the one who's been with your father Jacob or Isaac in the reality of, of the sacrifice on Mount Moriah, and the, the very one that has led him out and, and indeed blessed him. I am the Lord, the one who has done all of these things. In fact, that Jacob, if you want to go back, there's that whole Red Sea thing, and there's all of the other powers in, in which God is doing amazing and miraculous and marvelous things. In fact, there's this whole creation thing that out of nothing came this earth. And in it, I want you to see that I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And don't hear control. Don't hear I am the Lord as something bad or restraining. But rather, I want you to hear it as protective and freeing. It is not a power that will ever fail us, but one that is always for us. It is the power of God spoken to Jacob. He says to Jacob, Let me reassure you in your uncertainty that I have never and I never will cease to operate in all of my power to be your God. That the very one who created all things is so very much on the throne. And even when it seems as if things have come unglued, God says, I still stand with power. I am. I am the Lord. So listen, when things rock our world as the coronavirus has, or or racial injustice comes and seeks in, and is again a reminder to us of the brokenness of our world. When uncertainty comes in any ways in your life, that there's a question at any point that who's in charge? God stands and reminds us as he reminded Jacob that he is the Lord. And that even when things seem to be uncertain, there is a certainty of his omnipotence, of his power. Secondly, God says not only I am, but he says I will. God says I will. He says, In you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed to Jacob. Uh, And here in this, the certainty of God's promise. Not a promise that we hope to come true, that man, maybe if we're good, God will bless us. That's not what God is saying, but one that, that we can be assured will come true. He, hear the fuller statement that God speaks to Jacob in the stream. He says, The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. Here's a simple guy, not sure he's going to live till tomorrow. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. It might sound familiar for you Bible scholars. In Genesis 12, God speaks to Abraham and says very much the same thing. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. What God is saying to Jacob, who is alone in the wilderness, is not only that I... I I will give to Jacob the same promise of his grandfather Abraham, but even more, that he is a God, listen, who knows all things. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. So here, this is God not, not saying to Jacob that on some conditional agreement I'm going to give you land and people, but it is the very thing that I have written into the script of your life as the one who determines all things. And, and the best way that my feeble mind captures that is to think of uh, one of my uh, favorite fictional novel writers, John Grisham. Any yeah, there's John Grisham David. There you go, a couple of John Grisham fans. So uh, the reality is, is that when John Grisham gets to write a book, what? He, he's all-knowing. I, I know that's a great mystery. That's why we get so inclined to, to be in the book, right? But guess who knows the end of the mystery? The one who wrote the whole book. John Grisham knows the beginning and he knows the end. He knows every character in it. He knows every twist and turn of it. He is in his own novel all-knowing. Now blow your brain, right? God has written the book of life. He's written your book. He's written my book. He's written the book of even racial injustice. He's written the book of coronavirus. He's written the book of everything from the beginning to the end. And he knows the book. That's what he's telling Jacob. Listen, not that if you're a good boy, I'll bless you. No, listen, I've already written the book. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your offspring like the dust of the earth. Look to the west, look to the east, look to the north, look to the south. Everything will be yours because I've written it into existence. And that's what the story writer, an omniscient God, as a story writer, wants to say to us today. We don't always get it right. We don't understand why did He include this chapter in my life. <laughs> Why did he put these 10 chapters into my life? Why is he doing what he's doing? Why are he, if he really is in charge, if he really has written the script, why? And, and we've looked at all of the maybe reasons with regard to this virus, that, that, that he wants us to see brokenness, that he wants us to be reminded that he's coming again, that he wants us to repent and return to him. There's all kinds of really good reasons why he may have brought the coronavirus here. There's reality that we can begin to know, but we still don't know. You ask your pastor, why coronavirus? Why why these rights? Why I have no idea. But I know this: that God has written the story, and He who has written the story has a blessing and a promise for His people. He is omniscient. I know without a doubt that His promise for me, His promise for us as a covenant church, His promise for His people is a promise of blessing that is still intact. Because it is he who's written it. God says, I am. God says, I will. And finally, God says to Jacob, I'm here. He says to him, I am with you. And I will keep you wherever you go. And I'll bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So here in the... Uncertainty, this statement of certainty of God's presence. His power, his promise, his presence. His omnipresence. A presence that is everywhere and forever. Uh, This appears to be the most impactful thing for Jacob, does it not? Who's alone in the wilderness. Uh, The most comforting thing in his uncertainty. You hear him when he wakes up from his sleep, right? So the very thing that we have in this text, that he wakes up from his sleep, he's not like, man, that was a pool ladder." Uh, That's not what he said. It wasn't even, man, angels, like ascending and descending. How could that? That's not what he said. You know what he said? Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. I want you to hear uncertainty clash with certainty right there. Jacob says, when I went to sleep, like, I wasn't sure that God was. here. I wasn't sure that God cared about me. I wasn't sure that God loved me. But as I wake, I know, hear the depth of no. I know that he is in this place. That he is here.
1: Listen, he even
0: renames the place. I don't know if he had to go to the mayor of Luz to do this or what he had to do, but he, he renames the place Bethel, which means the very house of God. This wilderness place where he lays alone is the very place that God lives. It's similar to the observation of David much later in time in Psalm 139 where he says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the grave, you are there. If I take the wings, hear the poetry, which means, if I might go anywhere, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand, listen, will lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. There is no point in time, there is no place in all of creation that God is not there. So in these days of uncertainty, in any day of uncertainty, we can know this, that God is always faithful to His promise to what? To never leave us, nor forsake us. And not just because He is faithful to do so, but because it's in His very nature to do so. I don't know if you can feel the weight of this moment for Jacob. From a place of absolute uncertainty, laying his head on a rock, not knowing if he would awaken alive the next morning, right? To just hours later, waking up and anointing that very rock and setting up as a reminder that this was the very place that God was present. (laughs) And what's the difference? God's word of certainty into his uncertainty. God telling him that he is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, and that he is all present. God, in uncertainty, God speaks to Jacob, God speaks to us, and he says, I am, I will, and I'm here. And I'd love to add to the weight of that weight this morning for us who knows even more of the picture of God. If you have your Bibles open, turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 43, starts a story of, paraphrase the story to get to the verse. Um, Jesus, Can come from Nazareth, right? But when he sees Jesus, when Nathaniel sees Jesus, Jesus tells him where he was, that he was under the fig tree, when Philip came to him. And all of a sudden, Nathaniel, like that, as a believer, he goes, You must be the son of God, right? That's a quick conversion right there, right? Like, ah, I don't think you're any good. But ah oh, yes, you, you know me, right? You're omniscient. You must be the son of God. And I, I just can't help but think that Jesus would have smiled, maybe chuckled. And said, if you think that's good, just wait. Because listen to what he says in chapter 1, verse 51 of the Gospel of John. He looks at Nathaniel and says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on a ladder. No, on the son of man. Now, we, these good little Jewish boys, right, who were disciples hanging out with Jesus, they've been told Genesis 28 a hundred times. They may not have had a final graph, but they got the story. And they remember the heavens opening, and they remember the stairs coming down, the angels and, and descending and ascending. And this was the point in which God said, I am, I will, and I'm here. And so this Jesus, right, just goes... Hey, listen, I'm the latter. I am the one who is, I am. I am the one who is, I will. And I'm here. And you know what's cool? In, in, in John chapter 2, he starts to, to show that. Like, it's his first miracle, turns water to wine. As you go through the Gospel of John, you see that he teaches with authority because he knows all things. And then he goes to the cross and he dies and he rises again on the third day in order that we might know of an eternal presence with God. I am, I will, and I'm here. So that we might today, in our uncertainty, know one thing certain, that God is in everything and he is in all of this. And there is nothing that escapes His power. Nothing happens that is not in His story. And we can go nowhere without God being there. If you go back to Genesis 28, there is the rest of the story. I love that Jacob gets up after this dream and he worships God. He takes the stone and he anoints it with oil and he begins to praise God. And then it says, he then formed a committee have a deeper input understanding of the reality of the latter. Is, is that what he did? <laughs> then, then he started a sermon series for six weeks on the attributes of God. That's, that's, that's what he did at that moment. Is that what he did? No, you know what it says he, he did in Genesis 29 verse 1? He went on in his journey. I have space. So here it goes, right? The reality is, is he's headed into the wilderness, eyes down, don't know what's going to happen, mist of uncertainty. Let me take a rock. I might not wake up, but here I am. And he wakes. He wakes, and he goes on his journey. Why? Not because of anything of him. It's the reality. that he knows that he has a God who is all-powerful, a God who is all-knowing, and a God who is all-present. He goes on his journey, journey. Likewise, people of God... Can I suggest to you it's not our job to explain God in uncertainty, but rather to join Him in what He's up to through our uncertainty. That's good. That's good. That's good. Hear it. Because we want to answer the questions, right? Why is God doing His... Listen, it is not our job to explain... God, in uncertainty, it is our job, and we will show the power of God when we get on with it. To know that He is God, that He has purpose in these days for His church, and that we shouldn't waste this opportunity. That Covenant Church, He has for us the purpose of being called out by God to be sent with one another into the world for such a time as this. Let's get on our journey and do the things that He's called us to. I don't know if you know the history of the song We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder. I think from this very pulpit, I, I know that I have preached in one course or another of the reality of how bad that theology is. And I'm here to confess to you that was an. That was an, uh, an uneducated state. because I did a little history on the song of "We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder." You know where it comes from? Some Nigerian slaves in America in the late 1700s who, in the slave fields, began to sing, "We are climbing Jacob's." We are going higher and higher. You want to talk about uncertainty for a second? Think about a Nigerian slave placed in America to be beaten and mistreated with some of the cruelest injustice in this nation's history in the slave fields of this country, even under the authority And the leadership of the church. That's uncertain. But at some point, some Nigerian slave, I think, read Genesis 28. (laughs) And he he heard God said, I am the Lord, and I will deliver you. Maybe most of all, to know that I'm here, even in your sleep. And so, some silly white preacher says it's bad theology because Jacob wasn't climbing Jacob's ladder. It's not the climbing. No, no, no. Listen to the Nigerian slave as he sings and says, I cling. I cling cling in my uncertainty to the one thing I know is certain. That Jesus on the cross, Jesus risen from the dead, will deliver me from this fear. And so I cling as I climb that ladder To be, what does the psalm say? A soldier cross. To fight uncertainty with the hope of Jesus. God says today, just as He did to Jacob, just as He did to the soldiers of the cross in slavery, He says to you, I am, I will, and I'm here. It is the one thing we can be certain about. In uncertainty. And so we recognize God in this. We must not waste this covenant church. Let's go on with our journey and discover how God is going to use even these days for His name's sake. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our cry is that you would be our vision. That we would see as you see in these days. God, our cry is that you would be our wisdom. That we might not waste the opportunities that you have placed before us. We pray, God, that you, O Lord, would be first in our hearts as we recognize you as the only certainty in our uncertainty. God, you in our lives would be high king of heaven. I don't know where your people are today in their living rooms in this place. But God, I pray that that word, the word given to Jacob that made all the difference would be a word that is received and heard understood by your spirit in their lives, that even this day will make all the difference. As we may have walked into this Sunday uncertain, we would walk from this Sabbath as certain. You are I am, and your promise is I will, because you are here.